This is God's marvellous plan for the Ephesians. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Sorry, it's not come up. <clears throat> Which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, in him we may approach, that through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my suffering for you, which are your glory. Great. Thank you very much uh, indeed, Kate, for reading. Well, um, do keep Ephesians 3 open in front of you if you've got it there. And uh, let me begin by asking you this. What would you be willing to go to prison for? Uh, I'm sure none of us would want to go to prison. But if push came to shove, what's important enough to you that you'd stand by it or continue to do it, even if it meant prison? Uh, Nelson Mandela went to prison for seeking an end to apartheid. The suffragettes went to prison to get women the vote. And we admire their integrity, their willingness to stand and suffer for what was right. And I'm sure we'd all like to imagine that in that kind of situation, we'd do the same thing, standing for what is right, rather than doing whatever we must to get an easy life. So what would be important enough to you that you'd be willing to go to prison for it? Well, from the time Paul started following Jesus, he was in and out of prison for the rest of his life. He wrote the letter to the Ephesians from prison. And here at the start of chapter three, he explains why it was worth it. What was important enough to him to make prison worthwhile? In verse one, Paul's about to begin to pray for the Ephesians. I wonder if you noticed how awkward it sounds when you read it. He writes, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, but then he breaks off mid-sentence. And verse two begins, surely you have heard. It doesn't make sense. It does, doesn't flow. Well, he was about to pray, but his prayer doesn't actually come until verse 14. And he stops because he's just said something that demands an explanation. He describes himself as the prisoner of Christ Jesus 
for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, you can imagine the Ephesians reading that and thinking, whoa, hang on there. Uh, did he just say he's in prison for us? You can't really kind of just drop that thing and move on. It's quite a bombshell. Do you care to expand on that at all, Paul? And that's just what he does. In verses 2 to 13, he expands on why he's in prison for the Gentiles and what is so important to have put him there. And it all hinges on a priceless mystery God has made known to the Gentiles. God has made known to Paul, sorry, in order for Paul to make it known to the Gentiles. A mystery locked up since the beginning of the world, but which has now been revealed and must be made known. A mystery and a message that will change forever the course of the world. Look down at verse two. It says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. A gift, a gracious gift that God has given Paul for the Gentiles. In our house, the Christmas shopping is a pink job, uh, by which I mean Rebecca does it. Uh, she buys the presents and then I say you're welcome when people thank me for things I didn't even know I would bought them. And uh, this year she has been super organised. Uh, some Christmas presents are already with members of the family waiting for the 25th of December. In fact, some of them were quite a while ago. And so in the last couple of months, uh, on a few occasions, Rebecca's handed over a bag of presents to a visiting relative to take with them to another member of the family. And we probably all know that feeling of when you're given something precious, like a gift, that you have to hand over to the intended recipient, a feeling of responsibility. I, I need to look after this and pass it on. Paul feels that sense of duty to pass on what God has given him for them. What is it, this gift? Well, verse three tells us that that is the mystery made known to be by revelation, as I've already written briefly. That's what Paul writes. You see, it's not a physical gift. It's more precious than that could possibly be. It's a message, a great truth that God has revealed. The word mystery used here isn't used in the same way that we sometimes use it to describe something mystifying that can't be understood. No, it refers to something hidden or secret. But now that secret has been disclosed. You see the mystery made known by revelation. Verse four tells us it's a mystery about Christ and that he's already written and explained some of it to them, probably a reference to the start of the letter but also that this is something never before revealed. Paul is like a, a journalist getting an exclusive on a major news story. Verse five, this mystery was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets like Paul himself. Well, finally, in verse six, he tells us what this mystery is. And it is an earthquake and wonderful news for these Ephesian Gentiles. Look at verse six. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that repeated word there? Kate read it brilliantly earlier to bring this out. Together, together, together. Now, the impact of this could so easily be lost on us because we haven't been brought up in a world with a sharp and clear division between the Jews and the Gentiles. 
But that's what they knew in the first century in Ephesus. Jews couldn't marry a Gentile or eat with them or even go into their home. Jews and Gentiles had to be separate. Even if Gentiles wanted to worship the God of Israel, the temple in Jerusalem, well, it had an outer court that they could go to, but they weren't allowed to come inside. You see, God had made promises to Abraham, the founding father of Israel, and all his descendants. And so for those promises to be yours, you had to be a Jew, or at least to get citizenship, and so become a Jew. Now, a Jew who knew their scriptures would know that the plan was always that through the Jews, God would reach the Gentiles too. In Genesis 12, God promised Abraham, all nations on earth will be blessed through you. But it hadn't yet happened until now. Through the gospel, the Gentiles are no longer separate from Israel, but together, together, together in Christ Jesus. This is the idea Paul touched on in chapter one, those verses that are central to understanding the whole letter. Chapter one, verses eight to ten, where he wrote, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Paul's telling a people historically estranged from God that now the way is open for them to be part of God's family, chosen by the Father, redeemed by the Son, sealed by the Spirit, recipients of every spiritual blessing, a glorious inheritance, eternal life with God in a united and restored world. The way is open and Jesus is the way. It is by faith in Jesus that they are brought into God's family, united in him. Now, don't think of the Gentiles as a group of people who lived a long time ago, a long way away. No, we are the Gentiles. The word Gentiles literally just means the nations. The gospel throws open the doors to all the world and says, come in. God is bringing all things together under Christ uniting and fixing a divided and broken world. Come in and be part of it. Be blessed through Jesus, this descendant of Abraham, to whom God promised all nations on earth will be blessed through you. It's happening. Come and be part of it. You see, this is a mystery made known for us, no longer on the outside, but brought into God's salvation plan for the world. I was so excited, as I'm sure many of us were on Monday night, to hear the news that Pfizer have successfully developed this vaccine. It's brilliant. It's what we all want. And on Tuesday, the newspaper headlines uh, said it all. Here are some coming up on the screen. The Eye said, vaccine discovery, the world celebrates. The Daily Telegraph, a great day for humanity. The Mirror, our little bottle of hope. The health secretary talks about the NHS injecting hope into millions of arms. What a great line. It is great news, but this vaccine won't make life suddenly perfect. Life was hard before COVID and it will be afterwards. This vaccine won't prevent a single death. It'll only postpone it. It won't bring unity to the world. It'll just remove one of the many things that divide us. 
The mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ, however, is the hope of the world. It's 100% effective with no negative side effects. It's available to everyone today for free. And it won't make some pharmace pharmaceutical firm billions of dollars, but it will make you spiritually rich beyond your wildest dreams. The gospel is the hope of the world. Now, I bet in the hours before it was announced, a bunch of people at Pfizer were itching to get in front of a camera and let the world know the good news. Of course they were. You wouldn't want to keep news like that to yourself. How much more so the gospel, a far greater hope. And that's why God's desire is that the mystery made known to Paul is now made known through the church. Look down to verse 10. It says in verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. Until recently, I was a bit confused about why this verse talks about making God's wisdom known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I would have expected it to say to the world. But here, Paul's showing us this is a plan of cosmic significance and of interest, even in the heavenly realms. These rulers and author authorities, by the way, include angels and demons, good and evil forces. I'm saying that because in chapter 6, verse 12, he mentions the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You see, it's not just angels in the heavenly realms, or not just good ones anyway. And they have for ages past been fascinated by this mystery now being made known. In 1 Peter 1, it says, even angels long to look into these things. And Paul's point isn't that the revelation of God's wisdom should be limited to the heavenly realms, but that this is a mystery kept so secret and of such widespread fascination that its revelation is of universal interest and anticipation. It's as though the whole universe holds its breath in awestruck wonder. What is God's plan for the universe? How will he keep his promises? The answer, the church is a picture of his plan. Oh, really? Oh, uh, right. That's a bit underwhelming, isn't it? <laughs> Weren't we hoping for something a bit more grand than that? And that's just how God chooses to work. He chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the, the strong. And hidden in the apparent ordinariness of the church, there for anyone with eyes to see it, is something extraordinary. A group of people modelling what it means to be a people brought together in Christ. Uh, on a number of occasions, I've had the good fortune of tasting Marilyn Stanley's cooking. Sorry to embarrass you, Marilyn. Um, she's a very good cook, a really good cook. If you ever get an invitation to Marilyn and David's house for a meal, make sure you say yes, whatever else is in your diary. But when you've tasted a bit of Marilyn's cooking, you quickly conclude Marilyn's an amazing cook. <laughs> the food tells you the skill of the cook. Well, this is the astonishing role of the church in God's plan for the world, that we, his people, should demonstrate the manifold wisdom of God. 
that those who experienced the life of the church should conclude not that we're brilliant, but that God is very wise. And the thing people should see or, or taste in the church that convinces them of God's wisdom is the power of the gospel to unite people around Jesus. If you can rem remember back to the start of September, I mentioned on that first Sunday back together that Ephesus was a multicultural city, a melting pot of different nationalities, ethnicities, religious backgrounds and cultures. A picture, if you like, of the diversity of the world. And so imagine turning up on a Sunday at Ephesus Parish Church. It would have been a shock. Firstly, there are Jews and Gentiles here. Not one lot on one set of pews and the other on the other side, but sat next to each other chatting away. The older ones are talking happily with children that society would suggest are beneath them. You spot a wealthy businessman you know, and to your amazement, he's got his hand on the shoulder of a man who normally begs outside the corner shop and he's praying for him. You spot a man serving a drink to a woman. And you might wonder if this was a strange dream you were about to wake from, but you know it's not. So you begin to wonder, what has done this thing? What wisdom, what power? You see, the church in Ephesus and the church in Uterbridge is to be a place where division is replaced with unity, where walls come down, where hatred is overwhelmed by love. Enemies become brothers and sisters, wounds are healed, sins are forgiven, and grace is generously given. Brought together because each person bows the knee to Jesus as king. This is the manifold, multifaceted, dazzling wisdom of God. The angels look on in astonished wonder. The demons see their doom. This is the power of the gospel and the wisdom of God. And the power of this gospel is not just to restore our relationships with each other, but also our relationship with God. And so verse 12 says this, in Christ and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Think of that, to come before God with freedom, confident of his heart for you. What joy and peace to be reconciled to both each other and also to him. God is putting the world back together again, and it's seen in the church, his pilot scheme for the reconciled universe of the future, a window into the world to come. This, friends, is why church is so important, and it's why being the church is so hard. The devil wants to wreck our unity because it displays God's wisdom and he doesn't want that. He wants to foster irritation among us, to use our differences to drive a wedge between us. He doesn't want us to focus on Jesus or the gospel because those things unite us. No, he'd much rather we focus on, on our differences, differences of opinion or style of worship, or whether we're new to OPC or have been coming for years, or anything, frankly, anything he can get his hands on. I am delighted by our unity as a church at the moment. I really am. I give thanks to God for it regularly. But be sure the devil's not. Can we resolve as a church 
to see his plans scuppered. To remain a people resolutely focused on gospel issues and on Jesus so that we don't get pulled apart by things that ultimately don't matter all that much. Uh, this week, I, I read um, this quote, which I thought was great, commenting on these verses. It says this, whenever we insist that something about which the Bible is silent should be done in a particular way, and we will not partake unless it is, we are undermining the gospel. If we insist on certain services or songs or liturgy or clothing, neutral and harmless though they might be on their own, we run the danger of weakening the church and allowing the principalities and powers to mock rather than marvel. When that which God has created is undermined, the cause of gospel is knocked back, and Satan, rather than shuddering, smiles. Let's wipe the smile off his face, shall we? Let's display the wisdom of God by being a people radically united in him. So what would you be willing to go to prison for? Paul says that this mystery made known to him and now made known through the church is worth suffering for. No one will give the scientists at Pfizer a hard time for their news, but people will give a hard time to those who share the gospel. Paul knew that he was writing from prison and he suffered terribly for being a servant of this gospel. But did you notice three times in these verses, Paul describes the job of making known this mystery as God's grace to him, a gift, a blessing. He considered it the honour of his life to be a messenger for the king. And friends, that is our honour too. And that's why he says at the end of this passage in verse 13, have a look down. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you which are your glory. Martin Luther King said, if a man hasn't found something he will die for, he isn't fit to live. Friends, this is our thing to die for, or more likely to live for, to make known the mystery of the gospel and the wisdom of God and the boundless riches of Christ. Let's pray. Father, inspire us again this morning with this gospel, this mystery made known to us. Good news for the nations that the way is open for all to come in through faith in Jesus. Thank you that this message has come to us and please empower us as a church to make it known to others, to friends, family, neighbours and colleagues. To make the most of every opportunity you give us to speak of this gospel whatever the response, whatever the cost, knowing this is the news of hope that all the world needs. In Jesus' name, amen.